Do you shop on Amazon.com? Of course you do. You can now support the Midwest Podcast Network while doing so. Go to Amazon.MidwestPodcastNetwork.com and a very small percentage of your purchase will go towards making our network and its content even better. That's Amazon.MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Bookmark it today. of the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Nick. Today we are here to do a review of Danny Boyle's latest film, Steve Jobs. But before we get to that, feedback at MidwestFilmNerds.com is where you can write to us. Let us know what you think of the show, the things that we talk about. We're at MFN Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Midwest Film Nerds Podcast on Facebook and Vine. MidwestFilmNerds.com has all previous 149 plus bonus episodes with full show notes and timestamps so you can avoid spoilers and other things in the shows if you wish. Uh, Amazon.MidwestPodcastNetwork.com is where you can shop on Amazon and have part of the money that you spend come to us so that we can make our show and network even better. Uh, I don't think I have much else in the way of housekeeping. So I think we can probably just get right into the review. Um, Steve Jobs is the film directed by Danny Boyle of uh, Train Spotting and Sunshine and many other film fame. Um, this movie stars Michael Fassbender, Kate Winslet, Seth Rogen, Jeff Daniels, Michael Stuberg, uh, Catherine Waterston, and many other people. The IMDb synopsis says. Set backstage at three iconic product launches ending in 1998 with the unveiling of the iMac, Steve Jobs takes us behind the scenes of the digital revolution to paint a portrait of the man at its epicenter. Um, So, Nick, you're a big Danny Boyle fan. Mm -hmm. Um, Danny Boyle has always been an intriguing director for me because he seems to kind of hop genres and just try out his thing at that genre and and put together something pretty uh usually pretty unique because he does kind of pop genres like that but um i know this film kind of had a troubled production it started out uh, i think david fincher was going to direct and he wanted christian bale to be steve jobs and that didn't work out, and there were many other people rumored and stuff like that, but it finally landed on uh, Michael Fassbender and Danny Boyle. But, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. Did uh, did you enjoy Steve Jobs? Yeah, I did. Uh, I kind of went into it figuring I would enjoy it on at least some level. Yeah. And uh, my initial reaction when I left the theater was like, yeah, that was good. I liked it. And um, the more I've thought about it, the more I like really liked it. Uh, I think it does have its, you know, it's got its its moments that are kind of, I think it's a movie that will be, I won't have a hard time accepting people not liking it. Okay. There are some movies, even though the film is subjective, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. There, there are some times where people say, oh, I don't like that movie, and I have to go... No, <laughs> you are incorrect, and here's why. And this is one of those movies where I will totally... Most notably, Pain and Gain. <laughs> yeah. uh, sometimes you just got to stand up for what you believe in. <laughs> uh, but I, 
I'll get it if people. There's a lot of things about this movie that might be difficult to swallow. Yeah. The subject matter. I mean, a lot of people are very dismissive. They're like, oh, pff, I don't want to see a movie about Steve Jobs. Yeah, I don't want to watch an Apple commercial for three hours. Which hours. is probably the worst comment someone could. That's the, that might be the one thing that I'll raise issue with because I'll be like, come on. Don't it's be, super reductive. Don't but, be so cynical. Yeah. You have an iPhone in your pocket right now. We're in all, we're all in this together. And not to mention that there's not even like any like real product placement. No. Because it's all in the past. <laughs> the, the movie, the the movie's really fascinating, I think, in in its approach and its structure. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's almost a fantasy. It's not really real. So for anyone who doesn't know, it's three very distinct acts, all probably roughly the same runtime, and it's 1984, 1988, 1998, and it's 20-ish minutes, 30-ish minutes before a big unveiling, a big launch, and it's Steve having these intense conversations with like the same five, six people in each of these time periods. And so the whole thing is, it's not a biopic. It, you know, people in the audience might have moments where they say, well, that, there's no way that happened. That can't be true. And like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Most of this movie probably isn't true. And it's it's fun to think of it as like a like a mental, like what was going on in his head, or maybe it's like a summary of everything that's been going on for the last week or month with that particular person, and it's just, it's like a metaphorical conversation. That's not to say it's not, you can't latch onto and it doesn't feel real, and it's not enjoyable. It's very enjoyable to hear him talk to these people, and, and it helps, um, I think, convey the idea that these very famous, very brilliant, very driven people are very complex people and they have problems with everyday emotional and social problems just like we do. And so it was kind of fun to to think, you know, oh, he has this this problem with this person and, and we all have that at some time in our life. And he's having it while he's trying to juggle these other things. And it's mm-hmm. funny because I think some audience members might might sympathize for him a little bit and be like, man, this homie's trying to launch like a revolutionary computer and this person's nagging him about this thing right now. And some people might default or might go the other way and say that computer is not as important as this problem that this person who's near and dear to him has. And I think that might be really interesting to hear which characters people kind of feel bad for and which ones don't. Um, but it's it's good. I think this the Danny Boyle. This is probably the most un-Danny Boyle movie I've seen in a long time. He, there are only a few. Danny Boyle's a weird director who you can you see one of his movies and you'll see a shot or you're, you'll see a sequence and go, oh, that's so Danny Boyle, but you yeah. don't know why. And the one I always cite is um, in 127 Hours when he's stuck in there and he has the weird vision and the camera shoots over the landscape and travels and goes along the cliffs and etc and it winds up right at the back of his car and there's like the ice cold gatorade in there yeah that's so super danny boyle that and the shot where he's walking through the chasms and he's running his hands along it and it's very smooth and it's hard to identify what makes that danny boyle but it just is and there are there are a few of those little moments throughout steve jobs but overall he plays it pretty straight yeah he kind of gets out of the way and he kind of does what David O. Russell says he always does where he wants to get out of the way of the the camera and the, and just let the action unfold it does have its Danny Boyle moments, like I said, but overall he plays it pretty like I'm just going to direct these performances and not the camera, which probably contributes to like the play like feel that a lot of people 
It does feel very theatrical. Yeah. It feels very much like a play. And I'm not a play guy. Mm-hmm. I don't like going to the theater very much. I like going to the movie theater. And I would love to see this adapted to the stage because I think it would probably be really cool. Gojo as Steve Jobs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it would be really fun to watch in that, in that uh, medium. So I could be wrong, but... Uh, the score is very good. The performances are all very good. Kate Winslet's accent is very strange, and it, it flip, yeah. she flips the switch on and off. The IMDb said that it was shot sequentially, so I feel like maybe in the first act she was still like feeling out the accent. I think so, because in the first act it's not really there. It's better in the second and third, Correct. but it's, not, yeah. it's still not They amazing. shot in sequence? That's cool. That's what it, Yeah, that's what the IMDb said. But uh, Aaron Sorkin... <laughs> <laughs> He's a guy a lot of people have issue with, yeah. and I understand, and I do too sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think he's someone that nobody is ever 100% satisfied with. Yeah. His, his quippiness and his, maybe even quippiness isn't even the right word, but he's, he's got a, a distinct tone in dialogue. And generally, that really bothers me with writers, where like I can say, "Oh, that movie's written by Joss Whedon." Oh, that movie's written yeah. by Kevin Smith. Like, come on, guys, shake up your voice a little. And Sorkin is guilty of it too sometimes, but I think he's a little more. He he has a better job of of maybe muting it a little bit because he writes some really good dialogue sometimes. Totally. And there are times where it gets a little ridiculous. And my favorite part of the movie is in the second act. And it's also my least favorite part because <laughs> it finally reaches. So the big, the big advantage to movies from if you were to ask somebody why why are movies so great from a storytelling perspective is your ability to tell multiple stories or to cross cut or you don't have to tell a story you don't have to be in one location and tell it sequentially chronologically you can shuffle the deck you can tell a story however you want and I think this is the thing that in the early days of cinema people were like oh. Let's just film the events and then it will unfold like a book, you know, or well, a book's a bad example because a book can do that too. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it'll unfold plainly. Like, right. As but a with, story a, but with a film, you can, you can, you, you can experiment and you can stretch the boundaries and you can tell a story in your own way. And Danny Boyle is someone who I think understands this and knows how to implement that power well. And there's a sequence in this movie in the second act that's breathtaking. And I was completely thrilled with what I was watching and it was this very cool cross-cutting between two different conversations with the same two people at different time periods about kind of the same thing and kind of different things and it was very emotionally charged and you saw two characters who are typically very composed and professional and businessmen just let loose with their emotions and it was really great and meanwhile it's there's this third thing it's cutting to of Steve like thinking about something we don't know what but it was just great, and the music was great. Everything about it was great, and at the same time, the dialogue finally started to get there where it was too much, and people were talking over each other, and it became really wordy, and it started getting really rapid fire. And I was like, oh, "Okay, pretty soon you're gonna you're gonna start to lose me. I'm sure you're losing other people too." In this moment, it started to almost get a little carried away there, and that I think happened a handful of times, but it never tripped. It was like watching like a really skilled runner and they're really good and they have one little misstep and you see them wobble for a minute and then they recover and you're like, oh, okay, okay, we're good. I feel like some of that is like um, kind of real life isn't 
often in terms of like argument or conversation is not you say your piece and I'll say mine. Uh, especially when things get heated and emotions come into play. Like people do talk over each other and they'll scream at each other and try to be louder so that their point gets heard, even though the other person is focusing on doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I get that, but, and I think this movie juggles it well, but I think there have been times where Aaron Sorkin just word vomit. He's like, Hey, everybody talk all at one, like see the newsroom. It's like, it's, Yeah, it it gets difficult, but I do think he did it well, especially in the moment that you're speaking about. But, uh, yeah, are you? Is, do you want anything else you want to touch on before I? My only other expound? beef with Sarkin, uh, I read I read this after the fact in regards to the casting, and this is the worst thing I think I've ever read. <laughs> They was, so Fincher wanted Christian Bale, yep. and it fell apart because Fincher wanted complete creative control, and he wanted like a $10 million upfront fee to direct it. And yeah. they were like, that's ridiculous. We're not going to do that. <laughs> no and he was, he was like, all right, well, I'm out of here. See ya. And they're like, yeah. okay, bye. I guess Bale still kind of hung around, or they, they wanted him still. He kind of wanted it, but eventually it just kind of fizzled out. And then they wanted maybe DiCaprio, and then they wanted maybe Tom Cruise, someone said. Yeah. Sorkin wanted a triple A star. And when they were courting Fastbender and said, we like Fastbender for it, apparently Sorkin sent an email to Amy Pascal that came out in the big leak. And he was like, who the fuck is Michael Fassbender? <laughs> He's like, I don't, he goes, I don't care about Michael Fassbender. No one watching this movie is going to care about Michael Fassbender. I don't want Michael Fassbender reading my words, basically. Ugh. It was the most pigheaded thing I think I've ever read. And I thought, Are you, is this guy kidding? He's turning into these people he's writing about. Well, I mean, it, it's a, it's a, I, to me, from what I think of Aaron Sorkin, it's a very Sorkin thing to do. On the one, I can understand wanting to protect your, if he poured himself into the script, which he is a skilled writer, so he probably did a ton of research and, and wanted to tell a really good story. If you if you get to that point where you're concerned about the person who's delivering it and you have something in your head, like if he's writing it, picturing Tom Cruise playing basically himself from Magnolia in, in Steve Jobs costume. That might be what he's imagining, but sorry, that's just not that. You know, the studio has a say. Danny Boyle has a say, and you have a Michael Fassbender is a very good actor. Yeah, he doesn't look a whit like Steve Jobs, but that's okay because he really performs quite well. The most Steve Jobs he looks like, and if the, I was trying to figure out if it was, I paid a lot of attention to Steve Jobs, especially. Mm -hmm when I like came of age and started paying attention to the, like technology, particularly around the time of like, like pre iPhone, like Apple's making computers and he does these keynotes that people gravitate to. I feel like in the third act, Oh yeah. Michael Fassbender is a pretty damn good Steve jobs. Once like, he gets it's the closest that I think he gets to being Steve jobs. Once we get to the black turtleneck and jeans era and the little glasses and the haircut and... Yeah, it's it, 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 even minus the Steve Jobs uniform because, I mean, he's wearing the same clothes that Jobs does in the Macintosh announcement mm -hmm. and at the next announcement. Like, he's he's doing that. But just in terms of how, like, his face and everything, like, that third act is... Definitely Steve Jobs. Those first two, it's still very much Michael Fassbender. 
But by the time it gets to Act Three, I would totally was like that Steve Jobs on the screen. That's interesting because I wonder if it's a combination of them shooting in sequence and he was getting more into the role. But I think also that that era of Jobs is much more iconic, and it's much easier to access that footage and that those those photos. And it, it was just media coverage was way more yeah, in the I '90s mean, than it was in the early '80s. So I think it's easier for us to be acquainted with that. Yeah, so that and that that's I think it's partly me and what I and that because that's the Steve Jobs that I paid attention to. I thought the same thing. Once he, especially when he's talking to Kate Winslet and she's telling him about the projected sales, yeah, and the way he's reacting and all his mannerisms, I was like, oh, this is cool. It's he's finally doing like a Steve Jobs impression. Yep. Yeah, but but admittedly, I don't know, you know, much about him in the eighties. I know I kind of I know what he looks like, but other than that, I didn't know as much about his personality. And yeah, me me too. It's it's like you said. Like I I don't think I. I think there's interviews and a lot of things out there, but how much of it have I, have I watched? Not that much. Right. But I do think a lot of the arrogance and stuff that he has in those and throughout the movie is a Steve Jobs thing. And I think he does hit those notes well, but I feel like the third act, it finally coalesces and 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 he becomes... I also thought the flashbacks to him when he's pitching to Scully and when he's in the garage building, that felt a lot like... That didn't feel too Michael Fassbender-y to me. That yeah. felt a little bit like someone else, too. That's true. That's true. And then you've got him opposite Seth Rogen, who is <laughs> Seth Rogen. But he did so much research. Uh, that was so funny. <laughs> so I, every time I see a movie, I usually, right when I get home, it's like my ritual to go on IMDb and read the trivia and then look up maybe some other tidbits or read some Wikipedia if I'm really interested. I do it for almost every movie I see. And I was doing reading the trivia on this, and it talked about uh, Seth Rogen like shadowing Steve Wozniak and interviewing him and hanging out with him to learn his mannerisms. And I was like, "What a waste of time!" <laughs> because he's just sad, Seth Rogen. None of it shown movie. through. No, not at all. <laughs> and he's not bad in it. He gives no. he gives a good performance, and his character is it 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 el- hmm. This movie feels, I feel like people are going to study it in some time and look back because it feels so much like a play. And part of that is that a lot of the characters aren't, they're almost like little psychological aspects of Steve. And it's like Waz is like his, his guilt in the back of his mind turned into a person because he literally has no other function in the movie other than to make Steve feel guilty. Yeah. And... His daughter has this function, and uh, Margaret, is that her name? His his PR? Uh, Joanna. Joanna. Why did I say Margaret? Anyway, she is, her, her job is to like be his disciplinarian and keep him on task and to help him kind of pop, round off his sharp edges. Yeah. And it's interesting to see all these characters that are basically just personality traits turned into people and his programmer and these people. Yeah. There's, oh, Scully is another one. Yes, and, Scu- and Scully's kind of like, I think they try to paint him as like daddy issues and right, and just that. Kind it it of makes thing. it a fun. Honestly, I, if more, if more bio, I'll, I'll use the term biopics loosely. If more of them went down this route of taking kind of a, a an interesting, more creative stance on someone, I think that we'd have more better biopics because a lot of times they come out and we're kind of like, oh, yeah, it's just like it. It feels very. I think biopics in general, the format's usually out there. You know, you've 
it's usually there's some bookends or something, or it's like here's the here's them as a kid and their formative moments, right. and so it it always feels fairly by the book. But to have something different like this, plus if you do this, you're you're cleverly sidestepping the oh that didn't happen. That's a creative liberty. That that's for dramatic effect. You Hollywooded yeah. it. You're you're going well. Yeah, the whole movie is kind of a a unique approach. And while we can get really good, like Lincoln was smart because it focused on a very specific period in this person's life. It didn't do anything before or after. Uh, and that was a great movie. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I'm relatively certain it's pretty historically accurate. I think so. I don't know, but. But they can't all be that way, I guess. Cause, and, and it's interesting that we got it with a Steve Jobs movie when they released one two, three years ago that everyone kind of was like, oh. Yeah, and I never, I never really looked too hard into that one to see how much of the historical accuracy of that one was, was what was skewered, or if it was just the Ashton Kutcher factor that people were like. <laughs> I saw the most hysterical series of gifs on Reddit. Yeah, about it because I haven't seen any of the. It's just called Jobs, right? Yep. And lowercase so, J, yeah, capital O B S. Somebody, uh, <laughs> somebody on Reddit was talking. I don't remember what. I couldn't remember for the life of me what it was on, but. Someone just said, "Can I get a, can I get a gif of that Kucher Jobs walk?" And somebody <laughs> responded with a gif of him walking. And then I watched it and I was like, "What the?" And the first comment was like, "What the hell is that?" And everyone goes, "So apparently, Steve Jobs in real life walked with a very slight hunch. He had kind of a kind of a distinct, like hunchy, slight shambly walk. But Ashton Kutcher walks like a caveman in this movie." <laughs> And everyone's talking about how, like, he probably thought, like, oh, this is a, I'm such an actor. I'm going to take this and it's going to become part of my performance. But he just looks ridiculous because he's all like, just like lurching around. And so people kept posting gifts from throughout the movie of him just like shambling between cubicles like a Cro-Magnon. And it's, it's pretty hilarious. And I was like, oh, I feel bad for him now. Sorry, Ashton. Yeah, I, and well, and then there was also something released a couple months ago that I think is a bit more of a documentary approach to Steve Jobs. I think it's called like the Man in the Machine or something like that. I can't remember, but so I should say I enjoyed the movie very much. Um, it's it is very unique for a quote unquote biopic, as mm-hmm. you said. I think it's very interesting in terms of a Danny Boyle movie. I think the whole place, like everything that we've said, I think. I, everything that you said, I very much agree with. Um, but on the same token, I'm I've I've given other movies crap for not being accurate, mm-hmm. but I think it's mostly when these people think that they are being accurate or that they think they're discarding accuracy for the greater story in terms of like the imitation game. Mm. where I feel as though them not necessarily portraying Turing correctly didn't really create anything interesting. It just gave Oscar bait performance to, to the featured actor. Um, so, but I think this movie has worth because of how unique it is, how cool, how different of a biopic it is in, in trying to take features of Steve Jobs's life and, and make them into dramatic uh, exercises for the actors and the characters in the movie. But I still get a bad taste in my mouth at the fact that, you know, even as we were walking out of the movie, that woman 
tried to talk. She's oh, she, so glad you brought that she up. She leaned over to me and she was like, "Do you did you understand what was going on in this movie?" And I was like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> and then I was like, "I paid attention to Steve Jobs and and you know in the past twenty years and blah 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 or fifteen ten years." And she's like. Well, I just didn't get a lot of the technical stuff, you know, end to end. I didn't really know what that meant. And I was like, well, I don't think you necessarily needed to understand what any of that meant. You just needed to understand that he wanted total control. And she's like, oh, well, I got that. And then I was like, well, then I think they kind of achieved what they were trying to get. Um, But at the same time, after that, she's like, you know, that's really kind of terrible what he did with his daughter, though. Like, why would he be so mean to her? And I was like, well... That's not particularly true. Like, she lived with him for a lot of her life. Like, after she was nine years... Like, by the time she turned nine, they had reconciled. And he was part of her life every day. Because he lived with her and his other kids eventually when he had them with his wife. So, I hate that people will walk away from this movie thinking, this is Steve Jobs. Because inevitably, there are people that may not look into this past what it is past what is presented before them and so this is kind of not really a commentary on the movie it's a commentary on what i don't like about what the movie could inspire or what people could take away from it because i still enjoy the movie very much i think it's worth seeing i think the reviews i think rotten tomatoes is pretty it's fairly good from where it was at but or no where's it at that's like at an eighty-seven, I think. Eighty-seven. I think that's pretty fair, and I think it's, I think it's something people should go see. But I don't think, and I hope that nobody walks out of it thinking, "Man, that Steve Jobs." Because as you and I were talking about it, and we'll maybe get into it more in spoiler Terry, but it shows a very manipulative picture of Steve Jobs that I don't necessarily know is true. And I was able to draw a comparison to J.K. Simmons and Whiplash. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a good comparison for this movie, but I also don't think that's an apt comparison of the real Steve Jobs to J.K. Simmons. I do think Steve Jobs is one of those people that would push people to do their best. and But I don't know if he was like a master manipulator, and that's not necessarily something that I can know. I am getting kind of jumbled up in my thoughts here, but... I just hope that nobody walks out of this movie thinking, well, that was everything that Steve Jobs is. Because I don't think it is. I don't think that would be bad, though. The movie doesn't necessarily condemn him in the end. In the end, it doesn't. And that's okay. I think people people do bad things in their lifetime. And they... And they they, totally. they hold grudges and they, they make errors in judgment and they ruin relationships and it happens to everybody. We've all done it. We all will do it. And I like that it, for the most part, the movie kind of comes around and, and just conveys the message that, you know, for better or for worse, Steve Jobs was a man and he made human errors and he did great human things that humans are capable of. And he, he was a human. He was a person. And he's not, he's not, a, he may be a myth and a legend, et cetera, et cetera, especially now that he's passed away, but he, he was flesh and blood. Well, and I don't count this as a spoiler because I think it's somewhat well known and, and it's kind of, it's, it's true to real life, but he did deny that he had this daughter with this woman for mm-hmm. 
a certain amount of time of his life. But he was like a 23-year-old guy that had a mission in his mind. He was like an exec at Apple Computers in its infancy trying to change the world, you know. And maybe maybe that wasn't necessarily his aim, but that was kind of the path that he was set on. He was in charge of the gigantic launch of the Macintosh. Like, that's a big deal. Would I, as a 23-year-old, have been somebody that would deny that I have a daughter with somebody and, like, try to calculate an equation to figure out? Because that was real. Yeah, yeah. Like, calculate an equation that says that it could be 28% of the population that could have fathered this child. I wouldn't. But I know a lot of people that would do that if they could and had the the brain to do it. Like, I I feel like emotional maturity, like, you, you, you don't have all of that until... You become an adult, and not everybody's an adult by the time they're 23, you know? So I think those issues are valid. But to kind of take that and stretch it across the 25 years that this movie encapsulates or portrays, I think it's a little unfair to Steve Jobs. It doesn't do that, though. I think it does. In the second act, he's, he's like, you're my daughter. Yeah, but in the third act... He's still like treating him like garbage. Mm, I don't think so. I don't think he's treating her like garbage at all. He's. I think well, there's there's tension between them, and I think a lot of it stems from her mother and his relationship with her, and how it sounds like he and her think about things completely differently. And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of unresolved. There's obviously a lot of unresolved issues between them. And a lot of that, I think, is coming from her, too, because as a child, he he was kind of an asshole to her and her mom. And her mom is clearly not a very reliable person or a very good parent or role model or guardian. And I think he genuinely wants he's very invested in her education and her well-being. And he wants her to do good and to be okay. But he kind of wants it on his own terms. Which I think is something that probably a lot of parents do go through. They want their child to be like them, to be a better version of them. And I, I, while I think I think what we see in the third act of this movie is it's twenty five minutes out of out of someone's day, and I think that you catch them at a pretty bad time when this whole argument regarding college comes to a head. Yeah. But it seems like their relationship is she calls him dad, and he he inevitably. You know, relents and goes. Are you serious? You think you think I'm going to treat you like that? Like they're 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 in the middle of a fight, and people get in fights. And I I think that it it gives enough context that they're okay. They're on okay terms. See, but while you have the ability to look at that and see it that way, that woman's comments after the movie make me think that that's not how everybody's going to see it. Yeah, but that's okay. No one sees a movie the same way. Okay, anecdotally, anecdotally, I have one other person who thinks that he looks like shit in the movie. Yeah, some people will. But there, and then there's a lot of other people that have written a lot of articles saying that this is not Steve Jobs. Like There are a lot of people that knew him personally and spent a lot of time with him that come out and say, this is not the Steve Jobs that I knew. Sure. I think I, think I can say that it's a good movie, but also have a problem in that there's no way to defend for him to defend himself you know 
sure. I mean, well, that that's true. <laughs> There's he's dead. <laughs> I I just don't think the movie paints him mean enough that where where someone goes, oh, someone needs to stand up for Steve. Like th- this is this is not. I'm trying to think of another movie that that just totally <laughs> rakes someone. Oh man, I know there's one out there. Anyway, I think the movie shows enough of his good qualities that it's not. And and I think that if people if people don't want to be educated viewers, if they just want to go see this movie and walk out with an opinion and then just that's it, that's too bad. Because I think the movie is well done enough, it's interesting enough that you should meditate on it a little bit and think of what it's telling you about Steve and what it's telling you about uh, the nature of celebrity, what it's telling you about media. Because if you see any celebrity on a talk show or on the news or on their anything and you believe 100% of what they say god help you yeah because it's all a spin it's all pr there's some truth in there somewhere probably hopefully but it's it's all in the interest of keeping up this image and i think what we see is a lot of the behind the scenes we see a lot of the tension a lot of the nasty emotions that people have to expunge before they get on a stage in front of the the damn universe and say hey look at my smiling face here's my beautiful product yeah like people especially creative people driven people uh, uh, entrepreneurs like this, they, they're probably mostly pretty difficult people because they, they have to be in order to break through, break the mold and, I agree. and get themselves out there. And I, uh, so I think while there, there are negative aspects of Steve and some may be real, some might not be real. I mean, again, if Steve Wozniak goes, goes on his blog or on the news, whatever, and says, that's not the Steve I know. I go, that's, that's great. Wozniak. That's awesome. Maybe there's a Steve you didn't know. Maybe you're only saying that because you want the movie to do well because the movie paints you in a great light, even though apparently that's not true at all either. <laughs> like, I don't care what Steve Wozniak or anybody says about it. Is this a Steve they knew? Because the movie throws the idea of a biopic out the window immediately anyway. This is just the character of Steve Jobs. And while it draws from his life and his personality traits in that, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily committing to, like, this is fact. And, and while I know I know what you're saying that it's it's going to be a shame that people are going to walk out of this movie and say Steve Jobs was a bad man who treated his daughter like shit. That is a shame, and hopefully at some point someone will correct them and say no, it's not entirely true. Here here's what the truth is. But shit, man, people walked out of the Martian thinking that movie was real. <laughs> <laughs> people people take away from movies weird things, and that's, that's just true. the I, nature. I of, just. And while I agree with you that I think it would be cool to have more biopics take a, a more interesting look at people and try to like take their lives and arrange them in ways that allows to make a a very interesting story and to do something different like that and not necessarily try to be this is their life. Mm-hmm. I fear that there are a lot of people out there that won't understand that. You're, there are absolutely are a lot of people and, that want to understand that's, that. That's just what I want to say. I just want to say that I want biopics, quote-unquote biopics. Mm-hmm. I'm all for creative expression and taking creative license with things. Especially when you come out there like Danny Boyle and say, this isn't a biopic. This isn't his life. I'm trying to capture the essence of a person, not necessarily portray him as he was in his life. Mm-hmm. Absolute respect to that, but I just want to say that there's a bad taste in my mouth at the idea that people can walk away from this with a very incorrect image, and that's yeah. I mean, it's it's one of the you know one of the great 
paradoxes, I guess, of movies is that we we take away a lot of what we bring with us, and we you know we have our own view of the world, obviously, and so our the way we interpret events in a movie aren't going to be. You know what? This movie actually literally does it. Uh, have, have we talked about the Kuleshov principle on here before? I think we have. Or the Kuleshov effect, where this so. this Russian guy. Well, if we have, forgive me, but I, I think it's fascinating. It's one of my favorite things to talk about in movies. Uh, this Russian editor. Uh, in like 19 forever ago, he, he started, he filmed a man sitting there staring blankly at the camera and then he started pairing images against it and showing it to people. And so he would show like, uh, one was like, there was a bowl of soup and then the man's face and people would say, Oh, he looks hungry. And then someone would show like a child playing (laughs) and then show the man's face and say, Oh, he looks happy. And it's literally the same shot of the man's face. It has not changed at all. But our brains associate whatever previous or following image with that image. We start to draw a conclusion. Yes, yeah. this movie does that during the sequence I'm talking about that that I talked about that I loved when it's cross cutting between uh, uh, Steve and and uh, John Scully arguing, and we keep seeing these shots of like half of Steve's face on all white, and it's it's a beautiful shot. I loved it, and I was looking at his face, going, "He, I think he's." backstage or somewhere reflecting on this whole thing he's he's meditating on what's been going on he's in a moment of like personal turmoil and that shot could have literally been him standing there at a urinal taking a leak and that was just the background <laughs> of the bat at the bathroom so that principle is not only in this movie but it, it's also movies in general have that you know we we will take away very different motivations from characters and and <clears throat> There was more to that, but now it's now it's gone. <laughs> we we just always walk away with different things from movies. In, in broad, Everybody in, takes away their own right in broad strokes, like pain and gain. Like I liked it, I didn't, and <laughs> and down to like the nitty gritty, like what we're talking about right now. How yeah. did the movie paint Steve Jobs? And while some some people get more out of movies too, like the woman who you talked about, she also mentioned she didn't understand some of the like technical aspects. They mm-hmm. talked about like how many ports are on the computer, and she didn't know what that meant. Yeah, we enjoyed that little argument because we thought this. Oh, he wants like eight and Steve wants two. And like we think that's to us, that's funny. Yeah. It's almost like a bit from the IT crowd or something where yep. the, these guys think it's hilarious. And she's just kind of like, I don't care about this. <laughs> and while it's too bad that she doesn't get the full context of the argument and how these guys are kind of fighting about something bigger, they're fighting about an ideology, not just a number of ports on a computer. She still could take away some of the broad strokes. And that's just, it's just movies, man. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I guess what it comes down to is there's no accounting for stupid. And the, and it is a, yeah. <laughs> it's just, like you said, it is a, it is a bummer. It'll be a bummer with, with any biopic. And yeah. I, man, I know there's one that I have a lot of beef with for doing this kind of thing. And I just am drawing such a blank. But anyway, it doesn't really matter. Is it Ray? <laughs> I have only seen a, a chunk of Ray. Yeah, you know, know what? I'll bet there's some controversy around that one, though, because I know Ray Charles had some controversy around him and... Yeah, I mean, I think any biopic that comes out of somebody who's, you know, at least somewhat popular, or as popular as like Ray Charles or Johnny Cash or any of those people, yeah, those they always have these kinds of discussions around them. Um, so maybe you know, maybe maybe that means people, some people, the right people, take the movies with a grain of salt, and I shouldn't be worried about it. But and that's what I applaud. Excuse me about this movie again is just they're they're saying it's a story yeah it's like christopher nolan with batman 
he made Batman Begins, and there was people going, well, Batman wouldn't do that, Batman. And Nolan goes, dog, it's a story. I don't give a shit about this Batman. This is my Batman. Yeah, he even said, he's like, I don't read Batman comics. I don't read comic books are for kids. He's like, I don't care. He's like, I saw this character, and I thought, that's an interesting character. Yeah. Let me see what I can do with him. And he made, like, one of the definitive Batman, if not the definitive trilogy in most people's minds. Did you read any of that stupid article? I that did. I, put I, I loved it. <laughs> I think it's a great read. I had a, I had a blast <laughs> reading it. We actually talked about it at work for like an hour and a half. There, I should just say there's an article. I don't know why this is in the middle of our Steve Jobs review, but there's an article <laughs> on the internet that supposes that uh, Nolan's Batman films are actually canon in the Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman uh, uh, universe. I read through that thing and I was like, oh my God, the little tiny things that they're taking and extrapolating <laughs> into the biggest ideas is so ridiculously good. I loved it. I yeah. thought it was awesome. And I was like, you know what? This is total tin hat corner, but <laughs> if it comes to pass, I, that guy will be famous. Right. There, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fun stuff. It's a fun read. If you like conspiracy theories or like, or like what ifs, that kind of thing, you, you'll love it. It's out there. It just basically is, if you just I'm I'll, sure it's up on Google. I'll try to throw the link in the show notes on Midwest Film. Basically, the big head, the big headline is Ben Affleck is not playing Bruce Wayne yeah. in Batman versus Superman, and here's why. Yeah, and it's just this. I mean, I kept scrolling. <laughs> Me too. I ordered lunch. I was walking, and I I got to where I was going to order lunch, and I ordered, and I was just standing there waiting, and I was reading this thing for like eight minutes, just going, "Oh my god, it just keeps going." <laughs> it lo- it lost me towards the end. I was like, yeah. "Okay, this is finally starting to just." crumble <laughs> breach my uh suspension of disbelief but up until then i was having a great time reading it I'm yeah. like, hey, you know what why not oh i don't know <laughs> it's uh it's pretty funny yeah all right i think we'll take a brief stop into spoiler terry when we come back after the break i think we both enjoyed steve jobs go see it sounds like it's flopping so sorry danny boyle is it really that's what i read it's getting pummeled by the martian and goosebumps well the Martian is really good. Yeah. And it's it's and very, you know, I was talking to a guy that I work with and he said, should I see The Martian, Sicario, or Steve Jobs? And I was like, man, do you like chocolate, vanilla, or strawberry? Because <laughs> those, are, those are all really different. And I, I think The Martian is the, probably the best f- movie of the three. Sicario is probably the best film of the three. And Steve Jobs, in a way, is kind of the best experience because it's really different. Yeah. It's really unique. Yeah. I think all three are great. And, totally. And Goosebumps might be a lot of fun, too, if, yeah. it's, if it's crushing Steve Jobs. But, it, you know, it, it, it has come out at kind of a strange time. I think it got hurt by the limited launch, too, because it's kind of... It just opened wide this yesterday, right. like f- this past Friday. And I don't feel like it had that burst of press behind it that a movie will get when it's... Here's a wide release. Yeah. Here's all the reviews. Here's what people are thinking. Go check it out. I think if they would have kind of gathered it and collected it and just done a wide release all at once. I think a lot of people don't care about Steve Jobs anymore. And I think the the Ashton Kutcher one kind of soured some people. And I think some people, like we were saying, they already have this negative idea of who Steve Jobs was in their head. And they're like, oh, I don't want to see more of that arrogant blowhard. Yeah. And... If a lot of people are, are saying that there's going to be some Oscar buzz for Fastbender and possibly for the film as well, because critically it seems to be doing pretty well. Yeah. If it if it is still in theaters or it's in a limited release come Oscar season, it might get a little more attention. Uh, and then on the home video market, it probably will too if it wins anything or gets yeah. nominated. 
I think it's, it's worth seeing for sure. It's not a must see in the theater experience. No, yeah. I mean, I think it would be, you know, it's not. I do like. In a way, it actually might almost benefit from watching at home if you paused it between the acts and took a little break to, like, you know, little make, make your popcorn or whatever. But I really loved the way it just moves. Yeah. It's got a lot of momentum behind it. And, uh. Should have shot it in IMAX. They actually did shoot it in three different formats. That was really cool. Yeah, that's that's awesome because it goes what it's sixteen, sixteen millimeter, thirty five, thirty five, and then digital. Yeah. yeah. So they almost did a Wes Anderson with Grand Budapest. Yeah. And uh, except it's more motivated, probably really. So it's a good movie. Yeah, it's cool. All right, we'll be right back with spoiler Terry for Speed, Speed, well, Speed, Bob, Speed. Speed. Here we are at Spoiler Terry for Speed Bobs. Um, cool Runnings too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if I have anything particular that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah, we already dipped hit. into it a little bit. We, we spoiled did. a couple moments, but it's it's, it's, it's okay. I mean, it's a biopic. <laughs> Ish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I don't know. I liked. I really liked the uh, I play the orchestra conversation, yeah, and in the scene because that's very that's a very valid point, and a lot of times people will say like, "What do these figureheads do necessarily?" And someone has to conduct the train, and yeah. a lot of people don't realize the responsibility sometimes that comes with that kind of thing, and it's almost like kind of tying into day for night again, talking about the director, how the director is the one who ultimately at the end of the day has to take responsibility if someone does something wrong. Spinning all the plates. And that's, yeah, and that's kind of the way Steve is in this movie. Like, he he is a lot like, for those who have heeded our word and watched Halt and Catch Fire, in a way, the character of Joe McMillan is a lot like him, where he has a vision and people sometimes question it and they doubt it and go, I don't know about that. And he says, shut up and do it because this is the vision and I'm right, and here's why. And if I'm not, then I fail, and I have to cower. Yeah. And it, and it happens to Steve in the movie, actually, and in real life. And that's pretty interesting that he came back from it. I think you also brought up a good point, though, that um, the movie kind of neglects the fact that, yeah, but the people who are playing the instruments are still massively talented, too. They are, and he, yeah. he even says that. He, he says that to Waz. He goes, you would be sitting right there. You'd be the head of your section. You're marvelously gifted but I'm the conductor. Yeah. I know where to put you. I know what you're good at and I'm good at managing you. And it's what great, you know, great like coaches of sports teams are good at and, and managers and, and CEOs, they know where, what skills people have and they fit them into the, the machine where they're supposed to go to help the machine run better. And that in of itself is a skill. A lot of people don't have that skill. They don't understand when to let, and even when to let things go. Like Andy, uh, what's his name? The, which one? <laughs> which is a great joke yeah. throughout the movie. The programmer, Andy uh, Fitz... I don't know. Andy Hertzfeld. Hertzfeld. He, uh, he's an asshole to Steve the whole movie. And some people, some you know managers of bosses, etc., because really that's what he is. If you're an asshole to them, they will fire you and yeah. say, get out of here. You're insubordinate. I don't need you. And Steve understands that he's a talented guy. And Steve understands he's a little bit of a dick, too. And he goes, hey, he's valid, whatever. And sure, but I'm going to light this fire under you because I know you have 
the skill to to get this off the ground. Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, he realizes that he can like pull at strings on Andy and threaten his like uh his ego a little bit and to that's, hang him out. That's to the dry. motivator. Yeah. Yep. That the Steve has some killer 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 lines, one line one liners in the first act. I mean yeah. that's him at his full like angry young not disciplined Cocky, yet. Yeah. Not not yet matured. And he's got some, the whole Russian roulette thing is very funny, uh-huh. and some people will not enjoy that dialogue. Again, it's a Sorkin thing. They might say no one actually talks like that, and I'll say, yeah, but it's hilarious, and it's just good writing. It's clever, and um, I can't, I can't think of a lot of other spoilers. This is such a really weird Sorkin movie for me, though. Like Sorkin is so. I know Tim and I have talked about it in the past, and it's like on full display in the newsroom that he is just completely technologically inept and just does not care whatsoever about technology doesn't really seek to understand it most of the time but it doesn't really come across in this movie there's there's one part of the beginning of the movie that i was like okay sorkin i don't care what like who i can i can't remember what it is unfortunately Mm. but after that it was like okay he's using the lingo well he's he's portraying these ideas well and they're important concepts and they do inform the characters which i suppose is is it's good that he sees the necessity into pouring into that kind of thing to portray steve jobs as this guy who wanted and to end control and things like mm-hmm. that um aaron sorkin is he married to jeff daniels <laughs> Because he loves Jeff Daniels. And Jeff Daniels in this movie is a cartoon character. (laughs) And he gets like all the best dialogue and he gets the most ridiculous lines. He's like a combination James Bond villain and (laughs) I don't even know what else. He's ridiculous. And just when you're watching this movie and like buying into it and the relationships and the characters... Here comes Jeff Daniels, and he is rid. It's ridiculous. It's the only word for it. It's ridiculous. It's silly. And if Tim, if Tim had seen this movie with us, I think he would have started laughing a lot at the things Jeff Daniels does because yeah. he doesn't seem real. And <laughs> when he first shows up, even with this bottle of wine, and he's got this amazing monologue about the. It's just it. It became. Quip City Central, and between him and and Steve, and it was just hilarious. I was like, man, what the hell? All right, real dialogue is gone for a minute, and these two guys are going to... Sorkin ease it off. And I I suppose, in a way, that is how very, very intelligent, successful people might speak to each other. People that are very educated and very well-read, and they like to have the the verbal sword fight, so to speak. They know each other well, too. They like to duel, and they like to try to out... It's believable. It's just funny because for a couple of Midwestern guys like us, it it comes across as just a little ridiculous. And I'm sure that there are people at, like, you know, Harvard, etc., that are alumni who are 40 years old who probably speak like that. And it's just it's just very funny. That's all. It comes across <laughs> as really funny. Yeah. And he that was probably his most outrageous scene. That with the bottle of wine, that was just crazy. 
And then later when he's in a <laughs> seated in a room with, with all the tables and chairs stacked and he's just sitting there waiting for him. <laughs> yeah, with his back to Again, the camera. Yeah, he's like Dr. Claw from Inspector Gadget. <laughs> it's just Yeah, we even said he needs a cigar in one hand and a cat in the other. <laughs> yeah. It's really no, I funny. put my hand out like he's got a gun. Like oh, yeah, yeah. Trained like, on him and like the be beginning like, no, he needs a cat and a cigar. Like the beginning of Casino Royale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've been waiting here for you, Steve. <laughs> I knew you'd come. <laughs> It's like all the scenes in Parks and Rec when uh, Chris Pratt and Aubrey Plaza pretend to be like a cop and a robber, <laughs> and she's always like this this evil madame, and they yeah. have these ridiculous exchanges. They, they, they do the, like the real fast talking forties, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah. And she's like, "You'll never know. You'll know. I'll never give it up." And he's like, "Well, you better otherwise." <laughs> and that's exactly the way they come across. It's really funny. Yeah. I want to see Aaron Sorkin write like just a hard-nosed gumshoe detective movie and just go for it. Shit, man. He and Pizzolatto should get together because True Detective Season 2 is a lot like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know. Spoiler-wise. It's hard to... There's nothing really to... There's no crazy stone to unturn in terms of what happens in the movie. I just... Again, that that sequence in the middle is breathtaking i was like this is phenomenally done yeah and danny boyle you know because they're arguing about why he says why steve says that scully fired him, right and and it kind of gets you to the boiling point of of that relationship and and it's really intense and it feels like a father and a son fighting and it feels it's definitely the culmination of a lot of a lot of emotions mm-hmm. and i i bought into it 100 percent. there might be some people that watch the movie and go that was dumb i don't like the dialogue and i'll go hey that's cool but it, it worked on me and i again it was that that layering of of what was going on and then the tension of of you know five minutes till showtime basically and that that ticking clock is kind of a cool mechanic it's in the back of your mind the whole time like he's got to get this shit resolved yeah what is he doing that, why, why do they why do they keep leading this conversation yeah around? And I, I said, I remember now that I said when we left the theater that it, the that conversation and that scene and this and the second act felt like the climax of the movie. The yeah. rest kind of felt like falling action because we know the rest of the story. We know he came back to Apple, he turned it around, he turned it into the juggernaut that it is today. He became ridiculously wealthy, and in the end, it, it well not in the end, but it ultimately all works out for him. And so then I, I kind of felt like there was less at stake, and it was just the I want the nice ending of him working things out with his daughter. I wanted to say I really did enjoy that you start to, and it gets called out in the movie because Andy Hertzfeld says something about how he was talking to the programmer and how the programmer's like, oh yeah, there's going to be a bunch of bugs. And then and then Andy like tries to break that to Steve and then Steve's like, yeah, I know. He's like, I'm not expecting it to do well. Kind of the transition of Steve being like less major control freak, everything needs to go perfect to the we are going to figure out how to make this all work for us towards the end of the movie. Like you get the, it's like the, the beginning of the movie starts out like a cube and by the third act, he becomes a sphere and the, the hard edges are rounded off and, and he softens a lot because it's not, there's just a lot of different ways where you see that demonstrated and like Joanna telling him the sales, as you said, and he gets like excited about it and it wasn't something he was planning on sharing like the projected sales Mm-hmm. Or at least, you know, it wasn't super important to him, although he wanted to know the information. But also just kind of... No, go ahead. I'm just trying to remember. 
But but see, just kind of seeing him by the end of the movie, he, to me, he felt a lot more human than he did in the first in the first. Act. Oh yeah. Well, and, and again, a lot of it, like I said, it comes with the the kind of the falling action of his his reputation is now kind of restored, and he's not fighting to make a name for himself. He is a name. His product is going to be successful. Well, the the the, the iMac was still the point where he's fighting to get his name restored. That was like the Apple has turned around. Right. So it still is kind of there. But because we have kind of that outside context of we know this is the point where where everything clicks and he becomes Steve Jobs. Well, I think he he understands too within again within the confines of the movie that he he is a name. People are talking, which I think is a big thing that he wanted anyway. It's almost like that line in Pirates of the Caribbean where someone says, you're the worst part I've ever heard of. And he says, but you have heard of me. <laughs> like, that's, you know. Uh, what, nice what, what is the term? Oh, that's the best line in that whole series of that's... movies. Um, what is the term that Joanna The reality distortion him? field? Yes. Yeah. That is so brilliant and so true. And that alone explains why he, his transformation throughout the movie. Because when she reveals... The thing about the time cover that they, you were never in, in the running like that, and he he legitimate. This is a guy who's who is who predicts people's move. He plays people like a like a fiddle. He he's in control most of the time. He actually sits back in his chair and goes, "How did I not see that?" <laughs> yeah. And he's legitimately stunned by it. And it's cool. It's very cool to see somebody taken aback and actually have some appreciation for like, "Oh, I'm learning something right yeah. now." It's like uh, in Watchmen. Dr. Manhattan, I don't think it's in the movie so much as in the book, but when he uh, is uncertain as to what's going to happen with uh, with the whole big twist in Watchmen, and he's got like a little grin on his face, and then someone's like, "What's you know, what are you smiling about? And he goes, I forgot the thrill of not knowing the outcome of something. <laughs> he's like, I forgot the, the just the thrill of not, of anticipation. Yeah. Because he knows everything that's going to happen, and he understands things on such a molecular level. And so it's so cool to see. So Steve Jobs is Doctor Manhattan. <laughs> yes, he's out. He's going to re reform himself somewhere. <laughs> he's on Mars right now, yeah. lifting his fortress out of the. The Martian is true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he uh, look for the sequel. Steve Jobs, comma the Martian, <laughs> coming. Lord. Yeah. Colon the Martian. <laughs> that that idea of the reality distortion field is very interesting, and I think it yeah. helps. I think we all are a little bit. I think we mostly just call it blinders in, in, in layman's terms, where we well, but it was like that concept vision. is something that was born of Steve Jobs in those keynotes that he gives. Like there are people now <clears throat> that try to hold Apple style keynotes, and from all kinds of companies, Samsung tries to do it with their Galaxy phones every year, and people go to it and are like, "What the hell is this trying to be?" Because it's nowhere near what Apple is doing, even though that's what they want. And the idea of the reality distortion field kind of came to prominence. Like, it's a term that journalists use when it comes to Steve Jobs in particular, because he has the ability to introduce a product like, say, the iPhone, and be like, we've invented this thing, it's great, and everybody forgets that the Apple newton was a thing and that palm pilots were a thing and that microsoft tried to make tablet computers happen like it's 
And I'm really glad that that got incorporated in the movie because I think it's the movie itself, these three moments, looking at these keynotes, it's a really beautiful way of showing how Steve Jobs crafted that reality distortion field in those keynotes. Because there would be people reporting from, from you know, off-site being like, oh, yeah, this is what I saw in the keynote. This doesn't look that impressive. But everybody there loved it because they were in the reality distortion field. And it's totally a thing. But then also to kind of see it affect him as well, as you're saying, with that that Time Magazine thing where he just kind of created his narrative and stuck with it and didn't maybe even think about all the facts. Didn't look at the evidence. Yeah. yeah. That's, that was cool. Yeah, it's it was cool. I liked I liked that a lot. I, I really enjoyed the scene too, where he um, first shows the Mac to uh, Lisa, Lisa when she's yeah. little, and he says, "Go." He turns it on and is like, "Go," and she opens up. She launches Paint and she draws a picture, and she saves it. And it, he's again just displaying this idea that a child can can interact with this thing and it's not scary and it's not overwhelming. Well, and and, then, and the crazy thing, it's like kids nowadays with, with iPads. Mm-hmm. That's, and that's, that's all Apple. Like you can throw a Microsoft, uh, what are they called? Surface. Surface in front of them. And they'll be like, okay, you got to click the start bar or whatever. Here's these blocks. Got the email. Where's the paint thing? Which is, which is interesting, but, yeah, because I think our minds... And again, that's a whole other can of worms of whether or not that's good. Redu- <laughs> re- reducing something to that level of simplicity where we expect everything to be that simple, and it's not. And I remember thinking that, okay, here I am on this screen... What is it telling me? Okay, it says start. I think I'll go there. What do I want? It's like a scene out of Memento. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Or even just navigating the DVD. Yeah. But the, it's all there. You just have to follow the right path. And yeah. that is that is obviously the way a computer programmer would think. Because back in the day, you had to write. I mean, you still do have to write out every single line of code, every command. And so they think, okay, well, where do you want to start? Here. And then follow down the rabbit hole to get to what you want to do. And mm-hmm. Apple goes, skip that. It's just this Let's big. Put it all it's here. just this big button. That's a yeah. smiley face. And while <laughs> while that's brilliant, at the same time, is it good? Is it? It's the same debate with you know, should kids play play with tablets and smartphones? Yeah. And that is it good for their brains? Is it bad? And it, it's it is not relevant to this movie. Yeah, but it's an interest. It's a a wonderful thing to talk about. And and but it is depicted in the movie with Lisa using the computer like that's and and in the moment because you're you're pissed at Steve in that moment you're like man what a dick yeah why is he and being such a dick he's about just this. rotten and and everyone's like well what makes this computer so special what does it do why do you think you should be Times Man of the Year and I was thinking the same thing as a viewer I was like why does this guy think he's such a big deal and then he just lets it speak for itself and I was like man that's brilliant yeah he's just showing this child created something and he's. That that's the one of the thing that I, I wanted to talk about in regards to Steve's personality and I think at large the personalities of people who are passionate is and creative people, they that's what excites them. And while I'm sure it was he had no problem being immensely wealthy and successful, he wanted people to feel something and to interact with something on a meaningful level and mm-hmm. create and and learn. And I did love that. That was the, another moment in the movie when he hit the brakes real hard. When he saw what she did and that she was an intelligent girl who could figure something out, and he just immediately turns to, what was her name? 
Is Catherine? I don't know. I'm gonna uh, again be completely wrong on the name. Uh, oh, it's something. It's something. It's, oh uh, no! It's it's Chris Ann. Chris Ann. Yeah. Chris Ann. Yeah. Chris Ann Brennan. Okay, I was closer with that one. <laughs> is she <laughs> Margaret? Um, her the actress's name is actually it's yeah Catherine yeah. Lodge I remembered her from uh, that other movie. <laughs> <laughs> And he the turned, other movie is yeah. inherent vice he for turns, the people out there. Yeah, skip that. He turns right <laughs> to her and says, I'll give you whatever you need. Get her, Find a house in a good school district. She needs a good school. And that was a great moment, too. And I was like, man, finally, there's, there's one of those human moments. We chipped away at the facade a little bit. And we see Lisa, what's back Lisa's there. Lisa's the thing that starts to like pull the humanity out mm-hmm. of them, which is that's cool. Yeah. And I was impressed with, you know, when you, when you have large jumps in time in films... Sometimes it's hard to establish how a person has changed or what's happened in between. It's hard to explain. And one of the movies that does it really well that uh, I always think about is The Empire Strikes Back. Because there's been three years between... Which is funny because a lot of people don't know. That's not common knowledge that three years take place between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. And Han Mm -hmm. and Leia and Luke have been running around with the Rebellion and all this for three years. And so a lot has changed. And there's that look between Han and Leia right at the beginning of the movie, and you're like, ooh, <laughs> what's going on? There's some unspoken <laughs> stuff here. And Han and, and Luke are really tight now, and he's like, gonna, oh, yeah, I'll go die to try to find Luke. And there's just a lot of, a lot of this is unspoken. You don't need this, you know, you don't need that giant opening crawl that you do get at the beginning of the movie. But um, does it say three years have passed in the beginning of I that? can't remember. I don't think it Maybe it does. It's I've watched the movie long. so many times, it's just white noise at this point. Yeah. Anyway... The the movie does a really good job when Lisa shows up and she's a few years she's four years older and her interactions with Steve are very different mm-hmm. and it's fun to watch them to watch him try to learn how to be a parent and after uh, Joanne gives him Joanna yeah yeah she gives him the advice of like you know they 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 act annoying because they want you to talk to them basically and then you see him receive the input and put it into practice and yeah. say okay I'll try this and it, it's fun to watch the adult Steve Jobs who teaches people how to learn and how to interact, try to do it on his own. Yeah. It's a rewarding th- thing to experience in the, in the movie. Yeah. To watch a, a, a little girl and his closest friend and confidant in the movie help him how to, how to people. Yeah. How to people. Yeah. Cause he, cause he like gets the computer thing or at least understands it on some level, but then also, right. Yeah. Um, one other thing that I wanted to bring up, and we're going kind of long. You kind of talked around it a little bit, but I think it was something that you were kind of hinting at. The idea that these people would pick up conversations like 10 years later. The oh, exact yeah. same conversation after not talking or seeing each other for that whole time. It feels ludicrous to me, but it didn't really bother me. I was just kind of like, that's kind of ridiculous that like they just... I couldn't recall a conversation with somebody 10 years ago. See, you say that, but I'll bet you could. Maybe, maybe. And you know what's a great example? Um, when we were walking to the theater, we ran into somebody I knew that I went to high school with and I hadn't seen in three years. That's true. <laughs> and we instantly remembered what we talked about and where we saw each other last. And it, it's a very strange thing, but I remember exactly, exactly everything. Maybe, yeah, maybe so. Time. I guess th- it's not often that I run into somebody from 10 years ago. Oh, you're young still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'll happen. No, I think it's... Uh, I think that there's some validity to that, especially when it's high stakes and and you remember, yeah, you know what you were very fighting about to you and 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 on on topics that were very important to you. But yeah, I do think it's interesting, and and people may have a hard time buying that. Like like you said, you think it's a little ludicrous, and to remember, you know, those specific things. But I think it depends also on how invested in the moment. 
That's the, true. The two people are. That's like true. Like, my, my friend we ran into could have been like, I don't remember that at all. And I'd be like, oh, okay, maybe it was just me. That's fine. Uh, some people are more stricken by coincidence. I'm one of them. And <clears throat> they they remembered. I, I remember what you're saying. There was a specific line that that Scully said to him or he said to Scully. I don't remember what. And he goes, when you said that, you know, what did you mean? Yeah. And I, I, I unless I it's been torturing him for ten years or something like that, which well, maybe sticking in the back of his mind. Yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously things didn't end the be- as the two of them wanted. The only one I didn't like was when he's like, "You've actually met my dad," and he instantly remembers that one time they exactly. had exactly that was is dumb. That, that was your dad? No, <laughs> and then everything about that sucked. I yeah. was like, "No, screw this noise. That <laughs> that's dumb." John Scully did not reach into his. Steve Jobs did not telepathically shoot it over to him. Remember this man that one time. That one time that you kind of insinuated that. (laughs) That was the only one that I was like, that's dumb. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we should wrap it up. We've got a full-sized episode out of this bonus episode. Well, you know, it's a good good one to do a bonus episode on because I think the movie sparks a lot of conversation. Different conversations. And a lot of thought. Very true. Go check it out if you haven't. Uh, feedback at midwestfilmers.com is where you can write to us. Let us know what you think of the show, the things that we talk about. We are at MFN Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Tw- Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. Uh, please talk to us in those places. Midwestfilmers.com has all previous 149 plus bonus episodes and full show notes with time codes so you can skip over the spoiler Terry. So please go check that out. And Amazon.MidwestPodcastNetwork.com is where you can shop on Amazon and have part of the money that you spend come to us so that we can make our show and network even better. Uh, this upcoming week, I think the plan is The Last Witch Hunter. So please uh, come come listen to Tim talk about it because I'm sure it will be quite entertaining. And uh, that's about it. Kyle XY. Go watch a movie.